Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We're thrilled you've joined us for this week's podcast. Dr. Kelly is currently leading us through a powerful five-part series entitled Relationships. In this series, we learn how God wants us to deal with relationships, especially the tough ones that can drain us. May God bless you today as you enjoy this week's message. Welcome to all of our campuses um, all over. Those of you who might be watching this on a television somewhere or on a computer somewhere, anywhere around the world, welcome for those of you at our North Carolina Correctional Institute. We haven't given it up lately for our campus that's in a prison. Will you give it up for those ladies? Yeah. Keep it going for the Garner Campus. Sanford campus, Latino campus, internet campus, I mean central campus, welcome one, welcome all. We are a multi-site movement. And uh, I realized after last worship celebration that I need to explain that every now and again. Because I have a big announcement for you, and a lot of you know this. Today I've been saying we got a big announcement, where the big announcement became two announcements. Then the two big announcements became three big announcements. And so I'm only going to give you two right now because I don't think you can take any more. I'll give you the third toward the end of the worship celebration. Cool? So I'm going give to you, give you the announcement. But the first one is related to our multi-site movement. Most of you know uh, that we are launching a campus in the capital of South Carolina, on September 22nd, 2013, this year. Can you give it up for the Columbia campus? What you don't know is the additional campus that we are launching that's coming this year as well. And I'm not going to tell you where that is because that's the surprise. First of all, I'm just going to unpack what multi-site is. Because when we made this announcement last service and I encouraged people, I was like, guys, I need about a hundred of you to go to this area and help start this campus. They laughed at me. Like really laughed. And so I was catching people in the rotunda and even my wife, I said, why did they laugh at me? She said, well, it's kind of the way you said it, but also you need to explain it. And then I got some people in the rotunda, and they're like, well, we don't really understand what you're asking us to go to. Here's the deal. We are a church. Say, say one church, multiple locations. One more time, really loud. One church, multiple locations. So this is what that means. On a Sunday morning at all of our campuses, everything is live. You got live worship leaders, vocalists, you got live children's ministry, live student ministries, live first kind. Everything's live except the teaching. And during the teaching time, screens drop down and they watch it via video, HD video, which in my opinion, to be honest with you, is just as effective, if not more effective, than live teaching. Because guess what? You might not know this. Most of you watch the screen anyway, even here at Central Campus. It's kind of weird. I'm teaching you, and guess what? A lot of you aren't even looking at me. It's a weird thing as a teacher, but most of you are looking at the screen. Now, we got live teaching up in here today, but, but we'll continue to do video teaching even here at Central Campus from time to time. I looked at some statistics this week, some demographic reports for our church, and right now we are hovering right around 50% of the people, adults, experience the message on Sundays via video, and about 50% experience it live. At all, Because we, we've reached that point. We've reached that tipping point, if you will, in the multi-site movement. All of that is set up for this announcement that's coming right now. And I didn't want to just sit up here and say it. Like, we've, we've, we've done that every time, and that gets so blah. I mean, guys, we're launching churches. I, 
Call me biased, but I don't think there's a bigger announcement on the planet because I believe the church is the hope of the world. So, so like, instead of announcing it a few months ago, I said to the productions team, I'm saying, guys, we got to be able to announce these things bigger and better than me just getting up saying, oh, by the way, our next campus is Columbia. That was, I mean, just, I said, go to work on this. And, of course, you, you know how our talent is around here. And our productions team, they, they went and, and got the very best, very best intro theme song ever in the history of NBA. And this is how we're announcing this announcement. Next campus, start thinking and praying right now whether or not God would call you to go to this area and reach, teach, and release people for Jesus Christ. Check it out. From the heart of a pastor to a high school auditorium, New Hope started with a dream that Chapel Hill, Durham, and Raleigh would have a church of real people who knew the love of a real Savior and stood as a beacon of hope in Central North Carolina. In 2010, that dream came to Garner, then till it found Sanford in 2012, and everyone caught a glimpse of a future where dream is reality. Now this dream is growing to new communities. Columbia is coming in 2013. If that's not enough, hold on to your seats. A new campus pastor and his family are ready and willing to step up and lead. With leaders come people who are ready to reach. Let's stand up and shout for New Hope North Raleigh! Come on, church! Come on, church! Woo! All right, you can be seated. Love your enthusiasm. Love your support. North Raleigh, we're going after the capitals of the Carolinas. Amen. September 22nd, 2013. God has moved. We had Columbia secure. We thought that's all we were going to do. God has moved powerfully through this amazing, well, actually a couple life groups now in Raleigh. We have a lot of people in this church who live in Raleigh. And so they've been praying and looking it over, and here we go. God has moved, and we've got an amazing location, North Raleigh. And, and just take a moment. Look around. Look, look around. Um, we're out of room. We already do four celebrations a Sunday. We can't add hardly any more in a Sunday, church. So first of all, say thank you, God. Thank you, God. That's a good problem to have. Amen? That's a good problem to have. But here's the deal. Not only, not only is multi-site the most effective way to reach people for Jesus Christ, in my humble opinion. In the 21st century, it is the most effective way because we go and we claim new geographical areas to reach people for Jesus Christ. We take what God is clearly blessing and we go to other areas and God blesses it and it allows people to be reached for Jesus Christ. They don't have to drive long distances to church, number one. And number two, as kind of a side benefit, this is not why we do it. We don't do it for convenience. We do it because people matter to God. Amen. Amen. And, and, and so that's why we do it. But here's the second benefit, if you will. It allows us to have a relief valve for central campus. Follow me here for a moment. 
We've got to find ways to spawn off large groups of people to go to campuses and be pioneers to start new campuses. So it's very, very important. I'm going to really drill down on this one, this campus, because this one probably provides the best opportunity for about 100 of you to go to North Raleigh and experience New Hope there every Sunday. Same DNA, everything is live, everything is live. We even have the little white mints that many of you steal on Sundays. And you, and, and you need to take them along with the pins. They're yours to take. If you're like Ramsey, and I just see, I happen to see Ramsey, I'm going to pick on him because I just came from Haiti. Ramsey leaves with about 50 in his pocket every Sunday. Do not follow his example. We have a three-mint limit, just saying. No. We, I mean, everything is, everything is identical. Parking lot, cafe, resource center, it's all done in with what many of you call the New Hope way. Everything is live, and I teach there on Sundays via video. So here, here's my question. I'm going to move on. Will you pray about this? Will you pray about being a part of this group? We need, if we've ever needed to move an usher 100 to 150 people to another campus, it's this one. And if you live on that side of Durham or you live in Raleigh and anywhere, that, that's your place. That's your post. I want to introduce to you, this is Pastor Aaron McClurg. Everybody say, hey, Aaron. Aaron. He and his wife, Nicole, and their girls, they're going to the capital of South Carolina, launching it on September 22nd. You've known about that, but I thought since we're announcing North Raleigh, we might as well give them a chance to share. What would you say to the, to the group today, bro? Well, I'm glad you included me, number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. Hey, I, I want to say we're very thankful for the opportunity to take New Hope to the capital of mm. South Carolina. We're very, my wife and I and my family, we're very thankful for that. We've had a great response from the people in the community. We're there working on the church, and people from the community are stopping to greet us to the community. I'm like, mm. you got this backwards. I'm supposed to be greeting you, but <laughs> it's just great. We've had several families. I've heard of several families here yeah. that are interested, and Pastor Benji said he wants 100 people to move to the Raleigh campus. Well, I want 200 of you from this service <laughs> to move. Come on. I feel the Lord in here, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, this is what I really want to say. If God's been pricking your heart, and just in the first service, I had a family come up to me and say, that's us. Oh, wow. God has been stirring in us. And if that's you, if God's been stirring you, maybe getting you, uh, making you feel uncomfortable where you're at or making you think maybe it's time to leave the nest, so mm -hmm. to speak. I mean, what we have here is good, but I don't want to settle for good. I'm just mm. kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, what I really mean is if the Lord's pricking your heart and you feel like that's the direction for you, you can meet us afterwards at the table. I'm really just kidding. <laughs> it's okay, bro. It's okay. <laughs> uh, am I sweating up here? <laughs> uh, if the Lord's pricking your heart in any way, come talk to us. We'd love to have dinner with you, have lunch with you, just sit down and hang out. And uh, when they hired Mitch... I thought, this is awesome. I've been here for like a month and a half, and I have seniority. This is going to feel good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I have come to love this guy. Mm -hmm. He has been, we share an office, and we cut up all the time. Do he you is, work any? Oh, yeah, we get a lot done. We get a lot done. <laughs> but this guy has just been such an encouragement, such a blessing to me. I thought one thing, but he has poured so much into me in the last couple of weeks he's been with me. Mm -hmm. I know that the North Raleigh campus is going to be blessed from this man right mm -hmm. here. Pastor Mitch, yeah, thank you, Pastor Aaron. God sent us Pastor Mitch from leading a very significant uh, multi-site campus from Heritage 
uh, church where it was a campus of five, six hundred people under his leadership. So he, he's done this before. We're so thrilled to have him. He's here batching it. Now, pray for this guy. His wife and kids are not here yet. They're coming in just a few weeks. Four weeks, but we're sending him. He's getting to go be with them this week. It's their anniversary. We're like, man, we want you to go be with your wife. So he's leaving this week to be with his wife and kids for a little bit. But then he'll be back for a few more weeks before his family joins him. Love this guy. What would you say, bro, to, to the church today? Hey, first of all, man, it's pretty, pretty uh, quite intimidating to be brought in on the Chicago Bulls theme music. You know, I mean, what are you trying to say? Are we Michael Jordan or yeah, something? You, yeah, like you that? need to be Michael Jordan yeah. of church plan. Hey, I'm excited about what God's doing in the New Hope movement here at the church. I mean, isn't God good? Yeah. I mean, isn't he so great? I mean, it is great to be a part of a team like New Hope Church and that you guys get the privilege and opportunity to be a part of that as well. So that's what I'm excited about, joining that. And a couple of things I just want to bring to your attention that each and every one of you, even all of you at all of our campus, campuses and around the world, you can join Aaron and I as we're preparing to launch these campuses on September 22nd. You can help come alongside of us and partner through prayer. Yeah. And that is one of the most important things, is inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit to come upon each and every one of us so that we may make a difference for this kingdom. Amen? Amen. Number two, that Connect card that you've got in your bulletin that you'll get uh, to fill out a little bit later, we want you to mark that card. If you're interested in any way of being a part of Columbia or North Raleigh, then we want to be able to connect with you later this week. As he said, through dinner, through, through phone calls, through lunch or coffee or whatever it may be. And we together can make a difference. And I'm excited about that. And then at the end of service, as you leave, if you want to talk with a either Aaron or I, then we'll be out in the, in the patio. We'll be at a table. We have some cards there if you're interested in serving in any capacity at either one of our campuses. We'd love to connect with you. And, guys, I'm ready to charge, to charge heaven and hell with all of you as we do whatever it takes to reach, teach, and release people yeah. for ministry for the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Yeah, yeah. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Two amazing, amazing leaders. We are just so blessed, church. Never take the, the, the staff and the pastors around here uh, for granted. People like that that God's drawing here is just simply unbelievable. You excited? Yeah. North Raleigh. Yeah. North Raleigh. Yeah. North Raleigh. You're going to hear me cast vision for that from here till September 22nd. I want this to be the biggest group that we can send to launch a campus. It's right in our own back door. And do you know the potential of a campus in North Raleigh? Guys, there are, there, there, last I heard, 850,000 people in North Raleigh, in the Raleigh area. Do you know how many of those people desperately need Jesus? I just feel led to say this. I, I, haven't, I haven't, somebody said all of them. You're right. <laughs> You're right. But whoever said that, some of them already have Jesus. I'm talking about those who haven't met him. Let me be clear. The reason we're launching campuses, I just feel the Spirit leading to say this. I didn't say this before. The reason we're launching campuses is not to make New Hope's name big and popular. The reason we're launching campuses is not to make Benji Kelly famous and popular. The reason we're launching campuses is to make one name and one name only, Jesus Christ, the famous one. And I'm 
very, very serious about that. And if you're excited about that, if that fires you up and you live in that area, you are, you're, the, you're the one to go. Okay, second big announcement. Can you handle one more? Here's the deal. For about two or three years now, this is what I've been experiencing every, every May as I get ready for Mother's Day. This is, this is what I experience. A, I'm very, very excited about Mother's Day. I'm excited. I love, it's a big day in, in the life of the church every year. But here's the second thing that I have been feeling lately. Why am I teaching? We need a woman. Come on, think about it. We need a woman of God to bring the word of God on Mother's Day. Amen. So check it out. Uh, but I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have anybody that came to mind. I'm like, you just don't want me to throw any any woman up here, right? Right. Right. Three. <laughs> I know you don't. Three weeks ago, I was invited uh, to spend a week um, in Colorado Springs with seven pastors from around the country, and um, we were to spend those days with a Dr. Joanne Lyon. Let me tell you about Joanne because she is an amazing woman of God. And I usually don't read bios. When, when I go places and speak and they ask me for a bio, I normally say, hey, just tell them I'm a sinner saved by grace. Um, so I'm not a big bio kind of person. But every now and then you read a bio and you're like, dude, like we, they need to know who they're listening to. And so three weeks ago she invited me out uh, where I just, she just asked questions and we just dialogued with her about how to lead the church in the 21st century and while I was there, that still small voice spoke to me and said, you need to invite her for Mother's Day. And I, I, I kind of argued with the Lord at first. I'm like, God, you know how busy she is? There's no way in the world. This, this woman rubs shoulders with leaders of countries. But I followed, I said, I shot her an email that evening. And you shot me one right back. I couldn't believe it. And she goes, you're not going to believe this. I'm available on Mother's Day 2013. Let me tell you about who you're going to hear from today. Dr. Joanne Lyon is the general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church, which is all about transforming lives, churches, and communities with the hope and holiness of Jesus Christ. Dr. Lyon serves on the board of directors at many organizations. She believes in representing the Wesleyan Church, including the NAE Executive Committee. What does NAE stand for? National Association of Evangelicals, the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, the Christian Community Development Association, the Association for Biblical Higher Education, and she serves as ex officio member for all Wesleyan institutions of higher education. She holds a master's degree in counseling, further graduate studies in historical theology, and has been granted not one, not two, not three, not four, but five honorary doctorates. She has written several articles and publications, including the book Ultimate Blessing, and has served for 30 years in pastoral ministry. She has been adjunct professor of church and society at both Indiana Wesleyan University and where I did my doctoral work, Asbury Theological Seminary outside of Lexington, Kentucky. Known by many, and this is, that's all just her ministry stuff. Check this out. Known by many as the founder and the CEO of World Hope International she led that organization to great influences as a faith-based relief and development organization alleviating suffering, poverty, and injustice in 30 countries. Her husband is Wayne. He's the pastor of United Family Wesleyan Church. They live in Indianapolis. They have four children and the eighth grandchild that is being induced tomorrow at 8 a.m., 
She is my dear friend. I've known her for quite some time. She is a friend and a fan of New Hope. New Hope, give it up New Hope style for Dr. Joanne Lyon. Fantastic. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My goodness, what an introduction. Whew. It is, I don't know, you wonder sometimes, I'm sure you're saying, is that really true? Well, it can be true when you're old. So you get a lot done. The more you do, the, more, the older you are, the longer it gets. So uh, what joy to be here today. And what joy to be here when you introduce the new, new, two new multi-sites. And I, yeah. And I also want to say that wouldn't happen if you didn't have the leader that God has given you, Benji. Amen. Benji has the vision, and he's bold to give that vision, and I love it because he says it's not about him, but it's about Jesus. And as I was thinking about these places you're going to go, and I heard that population, I thought, wow, this is great. This is taking Jesus, and this is depopulating Satan's zip code. You like that? I think that's exactly what's happening. And I'm thrilled about that because that's why we live. That's why we are here. And God will bless this beyond your imagination. And it's just wonderful to see how God continues to move when we just say, okay, here I am. I'm thinking about the people after the first service who said, well, we'll move to, to Columbia. My goodness, that, that's not just up the road. It's a little bit of a distance. And, and how wonderful it is when we can say, okay, God, I'll go wherever you want, however you want to do this. Wow, what incredible trust that is. And you'll begin to see God do more than you've ever thought. I love that passage, that word that Jesus said to Philip when he said, Philip, you're going to do what I've done. That's in John, the 14th chapter. But you're going to do even greater things. And that's, he says, because I'm going to the Father. And that's when the Holy Spirit is in us. And we can do greater things than we've ever imagined that we can do as we follow our Lord. Well, today's a wonderful day. Today is Mother's Day. And I think about mothers around the world. I've traveled in many, many countries around the world. And you know, it's interesting. There's a common theme above, uh, around mothers. Maybe a mother who's carried her baby on her back the whole time in another country. But there's still that bond of motherhood. Maybe a mother who's carried her baby this way. It may be a mother who's never, never seen any of the contraptions that we have. I mean, I can't believe it, all the junk we have to carry these days to take a baby someplace. They've never seen any of that. But that love that's still there. And so this, when I think around the world, I think of mothers many places. The Wesleyan Church is in 95 countries around the world. You're part of that. You're part of all this great hundreds of thousands. And I just want to tell you that hundreds of thousands of people have joined you in prayer in the challenges you've gone through in the last few months. And I want you to know that you are not forgotten. You're part of a far larger family that's even here. And we're honored that we can all work together. And I just want you to know, I think I'm down south. I can say this. You make us proud. Isn't that right? <laughs> You do. We're thrilled with what you're doing. 
then I was just thinking of one country in particular. You see this country on the news all the time, but you have some 30,000 brothers and sisters, Wesleyan brothers and sisters in the country of Pakistan. And they worshiped 11 and a half hours ago, but very different than what we have today. They worshiped with armed guards at the door to protect them, but they have not been frightened. They're still going out to worship their Lord Jesus Christ today. That's the kind of world in which we live, and God has honored us, and he wants this bread. I was thinking about you all touching capital cities. Wow, that means that the love of Christ can flow through that place, can change the whole state. The love of Christ, a spirit of generosity, can change the whole culture of this state and beyond. What God wants to do, he flows through you and flows out. So I'm thrilled about what he's doing. Well, today as we look at Mother's Day, I um, have, uh, uh, you know, you can talk about in the, this, the, the theme today on relationships. I love the word real. Relationships. It's about being real. When we're Christians, we're authentic Christian people living daily. And God is teaching us constantly how to live. But I was thinking about as I was raising four kids and in, in four kids in five and a half years, actually, and I'll tell you about that a little bit later. It was a journey, uh, believe me. And, uh, but I remember, uh, there, and I could say to you today, oh, there are all kinds of, you don't need a sermon about how to parent-child relationships. You can all buy, go out and buy all the books that you want to buy on child, parent, child relationships and parenting and all that kind of thing, Right? They're all out there. And I remember reading one. I was reading a lot of them. And finally one day I just took that, that, that book and I threw it across the room. I'm sick of this book. And I looked because the author had written this entire book on an island in Hawaii. <laughs> and I said, where are the real people that are writing books about parenting in the midst of the kids screaming, the dirty diapers, the laundry that's piled up, the dirty dishes. Wait, isn't anybody writing about real parenting? And I should have written the book, but you know, if you're real parenting, you probably don't have time to write the book. <laughs> and then, I tell you what, your memory is not so good. It all looks a lot better when you look back. Some of you grandparents, right? It all looks so placid back there, and you forget those days of what it was like. But this made me think about a woman that Jesus knew, and her story was written in all three Gospels, actually. It was so important that every gospel, the three of the four Gospel writers wrote her story. We don't know her name, but her story is so powerful that it continues today. You see, I think it's always interesting when we read when, Je when Jesus, uh, Jesus' life, and as it's read, it's a drama. It's, it, 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 you have an act that goes here, and it, it interweaves, and it's very interesting, just literary style. When you look at how Jesus lived and the stories that were told about him and what he did and what he said. And this particular story is kind of, kind of woven into some other stories that are taking place. All we know about this woman, we don't even know her name, except we know that she was called the woman with the issue of blood. Now, the reason that word, the issue of blood, is there is because in that culture, any time a woman was bleeding, no one could touch her. And a man would never touch her 
if a person touched her, they had to go through a cleansing ritual. So they, generally when women were bleeding at any time, they were just put away in a place so that no one touched them. But this woman bled constantly for 12 years. The scriptures tell us that she went every place that she could to get well. She had gone to all of the doctors, and they had done nothing. Now her, and, and then she went to the, to, the, to the church, and the Talmud, which was the scripture, at that time there were, there were 11 cures for what they determined that she had. Just think of some of the things that this woman did. I just will read you uh, two or three here. One was that she would, was to drink a tonic made of a compound of rubber, alum, and garden crocuses dissolved in wine. Now, maybe that made her sleep better. I don't know. <laughs> she had to take an infusion of sawdust from the lotus tree mixed with curdled milk of a hare, calf, lamb, or deer to coagulate the blood. Or the worst one, the most difficult one, I think the one that brought incredible shame, that continued her shame, was wearing the ash of an ostrich egg in a linen bag around her neck for months. That made it very public for everyone to see what was going on with her. Shame. She carried a great deal of shame. She was ostracized. She also had an odor. And no one wanted to be around her because of that odor. I think of that word shame. Not only the word shame, but the emotion of shame. Perhaps everyone in this room knows that emotion of shame. It's one of the deepest rooted emotions that we carry. Many of you today have experienced that from abuse of all kinds and that great shame that you carry. And yet, I find it interesting when the writers talk about Jesus on the cross, they use that word. He bore our shame. Jesus knows shame. And Jesus wants to bring healing to your shame. He knows it. He understands it. And he went to the cross and was resurrected so that you might have resurrection and healing from the shame that you carry. This woman carried great shame. Well, it was interesting when we now switch the story to Jesus. What was happening with Jesus at that time? He, he'd been over on the other side of the lake, and here was a man who was, they, was demon-possessed, they said. He was chained. He couldn't control himself, and so they took him out to the cemetery and chained him to the graves. Well, Jesus came, and Jesus healed this boy. And so the demons that were in him... Jesus put them in the pigs that were next nearby, and those pigs rushed to the ocean or to the lake and drowned. Well, this made everybody in that community mad because Jesus had just upset their economic system. <laughs> they didn't like this. 
And here, Jesus found this man now clothed, the scripture says, clothed and in his right mind and was praising Jesus. But the rest of the people didn't like it. They didn't like it. They'd rather have him chained and filled with demons than for them to lose their money. And so they ran Jesus out of the, out of the area. You can read that in, in uh, Mark, the fifth chapter. And uh, so he, Jesus went across the lake. And when he came across the lake, here came a very important man, the head of the synagogue. The head of the synagogue at that time, was it, were, they were wealthy and very influential. And he was asking Jesus, can you come and heal my daughter? She's very sick. So the disciples are pretty excited about this. After all, this is an important guy. Maybe we're going to get some power after all around here. Maybe we're going to be recognized. And they're hustling along with Jesus, and a crowd is following. And this story of this woman intersects this movement of this crowd. It's interesting how Jesus just plops this story of this woman right in the middle of this. I think this says where Jesus is, he cares for those that carry a great deal of shame. He cares for those who are suffering. He cares for those who are marginalized by everyone else. Jesus loves you. That's hard for us to grasp at this moment, how much Jesus loves. But he stopped in that process. Well, it was interesting because this woman is a bit already prepared. She had, the scriptures tell us, she had heard about Jesus. She'd gone through all of these things. She'd been to these doctors. She's had all these things that she's gone through with this. But she'd been listening. She'd been listening. She'd gone to Walmart. And uh, she heard some people talking at Walmart, whispering, some women whispering, do you know that there's this man, Jesus? Do you know, I heard the other day that he picked up children. He put these children on his lap. Now, religious leaders didn't do that in that day. No one cared about children. They were to be gone away. They had no value. And do you know, she is listening, that this Jesus said these children are like the kingdom of God. Oh, that's heresy. How could anybody think that? Well, the next day she went over to Kohl's. I guess they didn't have it at Walmart, so she moved up a little bit and went to Kohl's. And, of course, she had to be alone because no one would be around her. So she was shopping at Kohl's, and she heard some people, some other women say, whispering, have you heard about this Jesus? I heard the other day that he talked to this Samaritan woman. Now, Samaritans in that day were a very despised class of people. He talked to the Samaritan woman. She had been married five times, and the man she was living with wasn't even her husband. And he talked to her. He gave her water. He talked to her. In fact, she was the first person that he revealed his Messiahship to. She can't believe it. I can't believe it. So then, a couple of days later, she needed to go to Kroger for something. And while she was at Kroger, she heard these women talking about this Jesus who does teaching. And he teaches and he gives parables about the kingdom of God. And he gives parables about what the kingdom of God, and he uses examples of women. Oh, does that mean this Jesus could do something for me? You see, faith started to rise in her, and she 
just became bold. So she sees this big crowd, and she sees Jesus, and she thinks to herself, I wonder if I just touched the hem of his garment, if something would happen to me. And so she sees the big crowd. She sees him. She's sure no one will see her. And so she begins to wiggle through the crowd. Now, there, was a lot of, there were a lot of people in her way. She had to move people around. She had to get in there. And in, the, in Middle Eastern countries, in the Eastern world, it's packed. People have no personal space. If you want to talk to somebody in that part of the world, you better be prepared for them to be right there. There is no personal space, not like we have in the Western world. And they were packed, and she just kept moving in. She was bold, and she moved through with boldness. Now, I want to tell you, to be bold is also stressful. You can't be bold and not be stressed. Starting these new campuses is not, it's stressful, but it's being bold and as you move forward in boldness, you will find, it's kind of interesting, uh, the University of Southern California not long ago did a study about stress, how much stress in our life, and we're always trying to remove stress, remove stress, remove stress. So they took a little amoeba, you know, that's the smallest form of life, took an amoeba and put it in a, in a, a controlled environment, and they were not going to let any stress come with this amoeba. So... They kept that amoeba there, and they protected it and protected it. For a while, it was one pretty happy little amoeba. But suddenly, it began to deteriorate and deteriorate and deteriorate. And one day, that amoeba died because it didn't have enough stress to keep it alive. Bold. She was bold. She finally moved in through that crowd. And I want to tell you, when you obey God, and you are bold, people will get in your way. They will be in your way. And you have to move on through that. Not only was she bold, but she believed. She believed when she touched Jesus, something would happen. And it did. And she touched, she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. She didn't want to give him a hug, anything. Just touch the hem of his garment. She touched that hem of his garment. And the scriptures tell us that suddenly she, she straightened up and she was healed. Twelve years touching just the hem of Jesus' garment and she's healed. She stepped back into the crowd. She was sure no one would know anything about it. But Jesus knew. And Jesus looked around and said, Who is it? Someone touched me. Now the disciples who were eager to get to help the wealthy and, and famous man said, Jesus, what's wrong with you? All people are hitting you all over the place. We're trying to get to do this important thing. And you're asking, Who touched me? Jesus stopped the entire procession. You see, this is what Jesus loves. He loves for people to touch him in faith. He wants you to touch him and believe. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to do more than you've ever imagined that he wants to do. This is bold parenting, my friends. This is touching Jesus for the very needs that you have with your children. 
the very needs that you have in your relationships, the very needs that are going on in your life right now, he is longing for you to touch him. He's here today. He's here today. He's in these aisles and in these chairs for you to reach out and touch his hem of his garment. Well, Jesus stopped. His eyes went across that crowd. I can imagine those piercing eyes looking, and they laid on the very woman. Oh, first of all, she thought she was, wasn't sure if she was in trouble. Was she going to be humiliated? But the second thought, she knew she wasn't. She saw his love. She knew. And he called her forward, and he asked her to step forward, and she stepped forward. And he said, daughter, and this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus calls a woman daughter. Daughter. Today, women, Jesus is calling you daughter. Daughter, your faith. He asked her first to tell what had happened, so she gave a testimony. That never happened. Women didn't speak in public at that time. She gave a testimony. And he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. What a wonderful word to hear that day. Her shame is gone. Her body is healed. She now has new life. You see, this woman was bold. Finally, whatever anybody thought about her, she didn't care. Her eyes were on Jesus. She knew. She was bold. She believed. And she was blessed. God wants to do that in you this morning. Be bold. Believe. And you will be blessed. For 10 years, my husband and I had no children. When he first got married, we didn't, we didn't want any. It didn't intend to have any for a couple of years. And then we began to want children as normal. And uh, we went through all kinds of things, and we went through some fertility workups work that are kind of funny. You'd laugh if I told you some of those things. I won't bother you with that today, but uh, it was funny. And uh, so we went for quite a period of time. Went to a doctor, and, and finally, after all of the fertility workup and all that everything was done, I'll never forget that doctor. He knocked on the wooden door that was in that office. We lived in Kansas City, Missouri at that time. And I just might add that during those days, I hated to go to Mother's Day church. I don't know if anybody in here has ever experienced that or not, but I hated to go to Mother's Day church. Now, it was a little difficult because I was a pa was pastor. You kind of have to go, you know. And uh, so uh, I did not like going to church on Mother's Day. Would endure it, but didn't like it. And so finally that doctor that day knocked on the door that he had and he said, you're as sterile as this wooden door. You might as well go out and produce other things in the world, but you're never going to produce children. Woo! That was not good news. And obviously he didn't have good bedside manners there at that point <laughs> and could have learned a little more on that. Well, I was doing, running urban programs in the urban part of Kansas City, Missouri, so I went back to my office that day, and I thought, well, I guess God wants me to produce life here, and so this is where I'll produce life, and this is going to be all right. 
I'm big, I'm strong, we'll make it. That's no problem. This is what God wants and this is what I'll do. So it went on like that for a while. We got a call uh, one day and uh, we had applied to an adoption agency and we got a call one day and they said, be at the, at the courthouse in such and such a time tomorrow because the judge is going to give you a baby. Oh, wow, we were so excited, we couldn't wait. And the morning, that morning as we got ready to leave, the social worker called and said, oh, I'm sorry, the judge just changed his mind. And, uh, and we got all the judge's uh, psychological problems because the judge had said, uh, well, I was raised an only child and they don't have any children. I don't want this baby to have an only child, so I'm going to give it to this other family. He's already got kids. So, okay. So, great disappointment. Well, you know, it was interesting what happens as you move along in that time. And you start looking at other people who are having babies. You know, my friends were having babies, and I would think, why is, she, why is she having a baby? Why is God giving her a baby? I mean, I'd be a lot better mother. <laughs> you know what happens when you start thinking in those ways? Little things start building up into your own heart. Things called resentment. Resentment. Resentment builds. Resentment builds. Now, if you aren't careful with resentment and you don't ask forgiveness and repentance in this, resentment turns to anger. Resentment finally can turn to hate. Those are the first signs of resentment. Well, I was letting that kind of boil in me, but sometimes we can let things boil in us, but we won't really, re we, we justify it. I'm justified to have that resentment after all. This is what I have to live with. One Sunday morning, we were dedicating a baby in the inner city, little inner city church in Kansas City, Missouri. And I just started to cry and cry and cry. And I didn't even know why I was crying. The Lord spoke to me during that time and said, you have resentment in your heart against me. See, I didn't think I was already hating God, but God gets the bunt of a lot of the stuff we go through, right? You have resentment in your heart against me because you don't have any children. Now, I, well, no, no, Lord, I, I, I don't. I, I, why, are, why in the world are we arguing with God, for goodness sakes? He knows what's in our heart. And as I sat there, that went deeper and deeper, and I realized I do. I do. And how do we get rid of that? We confess it to God. He wants us to confess it to him. You don't have to carry it. Confess it to him. And so I confessed that morning to the Lord, Lord, I have resentment in my heart against you that we have no children. Please forgive me. And at that point, I realized there were two choices I could make. I could either, ma either make a choice over here, and I call this as resigning. I can just resign to the fact that I have no children. Now, this is what I call teeth-gritten religion. Okay, I'll just get through this, and I don't care what anybody says. I will love God, <laughs> but I'll, and I'll love everybody else, but I'll just get through this. You have that choice. You can do that. It's pretty miserable, but you can do it. Or you have this other choice that I call relinquishment. Lord, I don't know what to do with this. I am at my end. 
as the woman with the issue of blood was. She didn't know what else to do. She'd been on this side for a while. She'd done everything she could. But finally, she says, I can't do any more. And relinquishment. Lord, here it is. I know you have my best interest at heart. I don't know what to do. But I look forward to the future of what you're going to do with this. It's now yours. So that morning, I must say, I left that church, shook hands with people at the end of church that morning with a new heart. No longer was I carrying this. But now I'm free. Lord, I don't know. I'm not thinking you're going to give me what I want. And you can't go there either. It's really got to be. I look forward to what you're going to do, whatever that might be. But remember, God loves you more than you love yourself. In fact, God's writing a new story for you. You know, we live this story that everybody's told us. But when you come to Jesus Christ and you begin to walk with him, he starts writing a new story, and it's the story that he had in mind for you when you were born. It's the new story. So that morning, I left that church much lighter than I had come. I had no idea what might happen. That's all. I just knew that I would look forward to what God was going to do with this. Two weeks later, we got a call from some friends of ours in Denver. They said, our mother is a foster mother, and one of the children that she has as a foster child is going to be up for adoption, and we just thought about you all. Would you be interested? Six months old. Great. Fantastic. They said, we'll get a lawyer in Denver. You get one in Kansas City, and let's see what happens. That was the middle of November, December the 24th, Christmas Eve. We drove to Denver and picked up our first baby girl. Six months old. Gone. Blue-eyed, wonderful, wonderful. And God did some wonderful things. As we were driving back on Interstate 70, we stopped at a Howard Johnson's, and I remember walking in, and the waitress said, Oh, she looks like an angel. I thought, only if you knew. <laughs> wonderful, beautiful, still to this day, wonderful. Well, about a few months later, our attorney called us and said, You know, this really seems funny, and I know when you're adopting kids, you, don't, you can't do family planning. But he said, uh, I have a woman who wants to have her baby adopted, and um, the baby will be born the end of July. Are you all interested? Sure, we're, we're interested. So, July 31st, I get a call that evening, and we got the baby December, six months old, July 31st. I get a call that evening, and she, the doctor said, well, you are the proud parents of a bouncing new seven-pound baby boy. I thought, well, that's pretty good. I went to church this morning and, you know, get all that. <laughs> went four days later to Kansas University Medical Center and picked up our beautiful baby boy. Perfect. I went back thinking about that service that morning in that little inner city church. Oh, Lord, I look forward to what you're going to do. This is more than I ever dreamed. Wonderful, and just the right size of sociologists say, you know, a boy, a girl, 2.1 children, whatever you're supposed to have there. <laughs> and so we were the, the perfect family. Then three years later, something strange started going on in my body. I went back to that doctor who bounced on the door, <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, this is impossible. You, you, you could not be pregnant. This is only a gork. This is not even a baby. This is a strange thing happening. It's impossible. 
Well, impossibility was born nine months later. Eight pounds. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I mean, we even did, yes, we did the Lamaze, I huffed and puffed, we did the ba baby, the whole business. I went back to that same doctor six, oh, I said to him, what should I do? And he said, oh, it could never happen again, never happen again. It's freak balance of chemicals, could never happen again. So I believed him. I went back to that same doctor six months later. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, I don't know what to think. <laughs> You're pregnant again, he said. You must have just come into your childbearing years. I will, and I was kind of, I was, frankly, I was kind of wiped out. <laughs> and uh, I remember getting on the elevator and, on the, and a, a beautiful, beautiful woman with a big, broad-brimmed hat, very sophisticated, got on the elevator with me. And I, I just remember saying, I said, I can't believe it, I'm pregnant. She looked at me with such disgust and got off at the next floor like it might be catching, you know. <laughs> but you know what? four children. They're all wonderful adults today. In fact, the one of them, the, the, the third one down, it's he and his wife are expecting this baby. I just got a text in between services that now they're going to do slavery at 830 in the morning. So got that. And he's already got a bed out with the rest. Of, I shouldn't say that. Got it out with the rest of the family on who's going to, uh, he's going to give $20 whoever can guess the weight and the height. So anyway, you can see what our family's like. Um, <laughs> But uh, anyway, I look at our four children today, and I go back to that little inner city church in Kansas City, Missouri. And people have said to me when I made the choice, and people have said to me, well, God was going to do what he was going to do anyway. No. If you go back to Jesus... Remember when Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth? And he finally left. He shook the dust off his feet and he left. And he said, I couldn't do what I wanted to do because you wouldn't believe. See, God would not have done that had not been that belief. I look at those four wonderful children today, so grateful that I made that choice between this and this. Today, my friends, you have those choices. You're going to hang on to this and do it yourself? Or are you going to really touch Jesus and let him do what he longs to do? And he has your best interest at heart. He loves you more than you can even love yourself. And he wants to do it. I'd like for you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine Jesus in this place today. He's coming down this aisle as he walked through with all that crowd around him. And we have a crowd around us today. But he's looking at you specifically. He's standing in front of you now. He's moved into where you're sitting. And he wants you just to take your hands. And I'd like you to just take your hand out. And I would like for you to imagine that you are touching his garment as he walks through. Lord Jesus, this morning, we've come with many things. As mothers, we have many things on our heart. As fathers, we have many things on our heart. As single people, 
we have many things on our heart. As grandparents, we have many things on our heart. And so today, Jesus, as you are moving through, we are being bold. We're touching you with belief and faith. And we receive your blessing and the words coming back to us. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has answered these prayers. I am already at work, Jesus is saying in the prayers that you have offered today. And then, Lord, this whole congregation today, I pray a special blessing on all of them. I pray a special blessing on the New Hope Movement as it's moving throughout this part of the country and throughout the world. I pray a special blessing on every person here today that they may see you move in their life in ways beyond what they have imagined. And you've said that you want to do more than we can ask, think, or even imagine. So we look forward, Lord, to what you want to do in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the top of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. May God bless you and thank you for being a part of our church family.